All right, um, I'm going to pray. God, we look to you for grace and mercy. Thank you that you are a God that answers prayer. Lord, I, I want to recognize your presence in this place this morning. Recognize the power of your Holy Spirit that's here this morning. And I pray that your word, the story of David, would continue to speak to us about who you are and about who we are. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, so last week we got into this whole idea of story and how the Bible is kind of written in this, this whole story narrative, most of the Bible anyway. And yes, there's prayers and there's you know, things like the Psalms are in there and there's letters in, the, in there. But, but it's really revealing himself throughout the scripture from, from beginning to end. And so we said, let's, I wanted to look at the story of David this summer and go through his life and see what we can know and understand about God in his story and see what we can know and understand about ourselves with God in his story. And David, David just kind of pops out of nowhere onto the scene. Remember now, uh, Samuel, God tells Samuel, listen, you need to go find me a new king. Saul's not doing so good. Go to Bethlehem, hook up with this dude, Jesse. He's got a bunch of sons and anoint my next king. And so Samuel goes and, and, and uh, Jesse's sons, they kind of parade by Eliab, Abinadab and the other dudes and they all come by and still nothing. And David, David's not even on the radar. His family doesn't even think enough of him to call him in from the field to present him to Samuel. And Samuel's like, uh, is there anyone else? And the father's like, yeah, the youngest. He's out watching the sheep. And so Samuel sends for him, bring him in. We're not going, we're going to, we're going to wait for him to get here. His own family did not see anything significant about David. But God sees in David something very different. In fact, what God sees is almost opposite to what his family, his own father, sees in him. And so David comes before Samuel. And God says, that's my boy. Anoint him as king. And this all takes place in the context of David being just a... David's, David's just a kid. He's just the youngest brother. He's just, he's just a shepherd. His oldest brothers, because of the culture they live in, they have the family status. They have the cultural status. Maybe we can even say they have more worldly status. But God saw something in David that he did not see in the others. God saw into David and saw what was in his heart. And God chooses him and anoints him. Though his family thought to him to be insignificant. And as God looks into his heart, remember, David's not perfect. So God saw all of the good and all of the garbage that was in David's heart. But yet God chose him for his purposes. God is going to carry out his redemptive story through David. 
Not only because of him, but in spite of him. And so we wrestled with last week, how many of us, at one time or another in our life, how many of us have felt like we are nothing special? That we are just insignificant in whatever situation and whatever season you are in your life. We, we wrestle with the, the idea of, of many times, I'm sure for all of us, there, there's been moments in life where we've just felt inadequate for the things that we're supposed to do, for the things that we're supposed to be in, engaging. Yet, David... And for us, because of Jesus, you are more valuable in God's eyes than you can ever imagine, that you can ever understand. You hold value in the kingdom of God in spite of you because of Christ. You have been called to the priesthood. You have been called to be a priest, to take part in sacred things, to live and point people to sacred things, point people to God because of Christ that's in you. You have been called, you, an everyday, ordinary, run-of-the-mill, nothing special, don't worry, I'll still love you, people have been called by God to do great things in the kingdom of God. David was a priest. He never dressed like a priest. He he didn't talk like a priest. He didn't spend a lot of time in the temple except stealing the bread. But yet he was a priest. His life was a life lived with God in response to God. He chose to walk in the calling that God put on his life. And I posed the question to you all last week. Will you answer that call that God has put on your life? Will you embrace the calling that you have in Jesus Christ to engage the world in the name of God's kingdom? You've been given everything you need to do it. Will you allow God to use what the world may see as just a, just an ordinary person, will you allow God to see, and to, uh, allow God to use your ordinariness for the good of the kingdom? You've been given everything you need. Will you finally allow yourself to be built into a spiritual household? The spiritual household that is already Inside of you. And so David comes onto the scene. And he enters the pages of the Bible, the Holy Scripture. And the beginning of David's story comes right in the middle of another story. And it's, and it's like that with all of us. Our story begins usually in the middle of someone else's story. Or at the end of someone else's story. And David's story begins in the middle of this guy, Saul, King Saul, in the middle of his story. And and Saul's story and David's story and Saul's son Jonathan's story, they take place in the midst of God's redemptive story. That God is making everything new. He's bringing it all back together again and creating something that's new and good and beautiful. It's the story that God continues to write throughout the pages of history. And our first insight to God... uh, This is way too loud. Can we turn this down, please? 
the first insight that we have to God in the, in the Bible is in Genesis. And what is God doing? God is at work. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he goes on in chapters 1 and chapters 2. He begins to, to create everything and put stuff together and makes light in the sea and the stars and the sun and the animals and the trees. And he's working all of these things for six days. It takes God to, to create everything that we see. And then on the sixth day, after the sixth day, into the seventh day, God rests. He takes a Sabbath rest, a sacred time where he kicks up his feet and he looks at everything. He's like, that's good. And on the sixth day, before he, he puts his feet up, he creates the man. And he's going to create the woman. And what does he do? He puts them in the garden and he tells them, work the garden. Work at it. Care for it. Cultivate it. You see, there's something that connects sacredness to work because they're both ordained by God. The first thing we see with God, that God is doing is he's working. And the first thing he does to the man, for the man and the woman, he puts them in the garden and says, work it. There's a connection between sacredness and work. Even Jesus came and he said in Luke, and I'm sorry, I forget what chapter it is, four or nine. That's what's ringing. But he says, he's reading from the scrolls. He said, I have been anointed to do God's work. And we, we, throw that, we throw that word anointing around a lot in Christian world, right? He's anointed. She's anointed. The worship was anointed. The teaching was anointed. His hands were anointed. We anointed that person with oil. And I, sometimes I wonder if we really even know the simplicity, but yet the depth of what that word means. In, in the biblical uh, contexts, Anointing or being anointed means that God has given you something to do. God has given you some sacred, divine, kingdom thing to do. Being anointed is what connects us to what God is already doing in the world. And when we do our work, the work we join in with God, when we do it well and we do it okay, those are sacred moments in life. Those are, those are garden moments. Back in the garden where everything was just like, oh, and God says, work this place. And when we do our work well that God has called us to in that anointing, those are sacred times. Now, Saul had some work to do. He was called, King Saul, he was called to do king work. But something happened. Something fell apart. And I want to pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And we're going to, I'm going to read it out of here. And then Steve is just going to move it through the slides. Chapter 16, verse 14, and I'm going to start in. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. All right, that should just freak you out a little bit right there, all right? What happens is the Holy Spirit has gone, and God has sent a little into Saul, all right? So let that linger. Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lair. He will, he will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you and you will feel better. For Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. 
One of the servants answered, I know a son of, I know, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He's a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well, and he is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send your son David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey, loaded it with bread, a skin of wine, a young goat, and sent them them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor-bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul, and he would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. So, Saul, King Saul. He has now... Done some things, some things that the Lord isn't too keen with. The Spirit of the Lord has departed from him just as David kind of comes on the scene and enters the story. Saul has messed things up. I mean, it, it didn't start bad, it started good. Like he was anointed, he was chosen, he was anointed king, people loved him. He seemed like a pretty humble guy right out of the box. He didn't use his power to for his own pleasure. I mean, he seemed like he was going to be a good king. He had promise. His first few military campaigns were very successful, very decisive victories that he won for God. But then as as time went on, something started to show. It started to show. See, Saul loved to do the work of God. Saul loved to do the work of the Lord, the work of being anointed as the king. But what began to show was he wasn't so interested in God. He wasn't too interested in the one who had anointed him his king. He loved to do the work. He loved to stay busy. But God was just a little something that he had to contend with on the side. He was less interested in him. Now, he was, he was doing good stuff. He was doing some king stuff. He's still winning victories in battle. But what would happen is he would disobey the Lord. He told him, do this, and he didn't. And twice, Saul disobeyed God's direct command, and it was in the context of, of worship. Now, it might have made military sense to do what Saul did, but in God's economy, in God's sense, it wasn't. And what, what Saul did was he created this opportunity for people to please the people and the people would go worship God the way they wanted to worship God and not the way that they have been instructed to worship God. The worship that the people were offering to the Lord after these victories had little to do with God or little to do with interest in God. The Lord for Saul and for the people just became a means to succeeding, to beating people. And they were less interested about him. And this would be Saul's downfall. You know, we can't look down our nose at him. Because just as David's story is our story, Saul's story is ours. Because how often do we use God to bring success to the things that we want to do? I would bet you that your prayer life increases when you want something. 
When you want God to step in and to fix something, or you want to do well in something, you really seek God in prayer. And so you're doing the same exact thing that Saul would be doing. You're using God to get what you want. Our story is Saul's story. His story is ours. We pray. And, and that, oh my goodness, that takes place in church worlds. It's like we barter with God. All right, God, listen, here's the thing. Um, this is what I want to do, and it's for you. So this is what I want to do. And so what I would like you to do is make sure that this is all very successful. Because, you know, I'm doing this for you. I'm just as guilty as anyone else. Maybe even more so. I live in church world. And we barter and plead with God. And we use him for our good. You know, early off in my Christian walk, my, I was a new Christian and I was attending the church. And I had an opportunity to do some ministry. It was like my first time that I had this opportunity. They, had, they needed some people to do children's ministry. And I forget all the details about it. Uh, but I volunteered and they accepted me. Woo-hoo, little did they know. Um, but anyway, so um, I, I, I sign up for this thing. And um, it's with kids. So I guess they figured they'd give me a shot. I mean, what damage could I really do? Little did they know. Um, so so I, I, I get my age group, and, and this is what I have to do. And, there, and, and I'm going to be doing this program with the kids, and the parents are going to be over there. So I go nuts, man. I just go and I buy all of these, like, these kids' books with, with all these handouts that you're not supposed to copy, but I did anyway because it's for God. So he wouldn't mind that I broke all the copyright laws. And I, and I, and I tore all those out, and I bought colored pencils and crayons. And, man, I had games. I had... If the games didn't work, I had more games, and all the games pointed to some really probably stupid Jesus lesson or something. But they, these were kids. I mean, you just got to keep them in bounds, right, and, and just kind of let them run around. Man, I had it all together. This was all planned out. But the only thing, as I, as I was thinking about this, in, in hindsight, the only thing I don't remember ever doing was praying. I mean, maybe I thought, why should I pray? I mean, God has obviously picked me for this. So why do I really need to pray? He's going to bring me success in this. And so I remember the night of, and, and, I, and I got, you know, the little little desks all set up, and I got the little packets on, on each little desk with the little handful, and good crayons, not the, not the friendlies crayons that snap when you just look at them. I mean, like Crayolas, baby. I, I got Crayola crayons, and, and, and they're just all spread out there. And so, and like, the time is coming, and I can hear people coming, and I'm like, here it comes. This is my first shot to prove myself in ministry. And so I can hear kids running around up and down the halls and parents are coming in and they're all coming in late because, you know, that's what Christians do. They're never on time. And here's, and this is what I think. Let me just, let me just take a rabbit trail. Here's what I think. Creation would have been done in five days and God would have rested on the sixth, but he got a late start on the first day. And that's, and that's why Christians are just late because it's, it's, it, we're being created to be late, but I digress. So anyway, so I'm waiting and there's kids running around. They're coming into my classroom and I'm like, yeah, you're not the age group. Get out. And, and so the, and, and, and all of a sudden it starts to quiet down and I'm, I'm still waiting and, and, and nobody's coming in. Everything is just like, oh, and I'm still waiting and I'm, and then it's quiet and it's just me. And my handouts and my Crayolas. And somebody comes into the room and says, uh, Dennis, we don't have any kids you're in your age group, so you can go down the hall and help whoever. I'm like, really? 
hello, I'm not a helper. I'm the lead on this. And I put my tail between my legs and I walked down to another classroom. And in hindsight, what I know now is I was more interested in working for God than my interest in God himself. And somewhere in each and every one of us is this danger that when we engage God's anointed work, it's going to become more about us and less about him. Sovereignty becomes my responsibility. Control becomes my control because I want to look good. And so we worship and we pray for success, to be successful for me. And, you know, if God wants a little bit of the glory, I'm good with that. I mean, I would never admit that I want some of the glory and I, you know, God can, him and I can share it because that would just go countercultural to what we're taught. God gets all the glory. He doesn't want to share his glory, but that's not what we believe. We want a little bit of it. Give us a little sprinkling of something. Come on, God. And so we pray and we try to do our work for God, but we are not so interested in him. And that was the problem with Saul. He was more interested in the work than he was with God. See, we have to figure out the balance of work and life and play that we are to join God in his story. We are to join God in the story that he's writing, his redemptive story, and not try to write our story the way we want to write it. And then we just write in God like some supporting actor that he's supposed to show up when we need him. That's completely opposite to what the Bible teaches of who God is. And that's what Saul wanted to do. You know, the first time we hear about David, he's out with the sheep. David is working. And the next thing we hear about David in this story, he's got another job. It's a different job. David has been anointed king, and now David is working for the king. The king is working for the king. He was anointed For the journey that he is going to undertake, just as all of you who follow Jesus Christ have been anointed for the journey that you are on. And in that anointing, the work that you do is sacred, holy work, no matter what you do. David was anointed for the journey. He was anointed to be king. He's anointed for the job that Saul messed up, but it would be 20 or so years before David ever actually gets to become the king, before he does king work. And he finds himself in the service of King Saul. He would learn to be king by learning how to serve. He would learn to be a king as a king by learning how to serve a king. And God's moment, God's plan was exactly that. David enters into the story working, serving. All, all good work that we do, all good work, all work that's worthwhile, it, worthwhile is work that's, 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 that's work that serves people, that serves something. And all waste of your time, bad work, that, that's work that just that compromises or it exploits people or something else. And so in good, sacred, serving work, there's dignity. Saul had good work to do, but he messed it up. 
he didn't do it well. He made it about just getting the job done, and God was just a way to get the job done. Because I want to tell you something, just because you have an opportunity to do something meaningful, it doesn't mean that you are going to do it well. It doesn't mean it's a slam dunk, and you are going to just figure it all out, and it's going to be perfect. For so many people, so many people, their jobs are the bane of their existence. So I bet you there's people in this room that don't like their job. Some people, they might even hate the work that they do, hate the company that they work for. They dread getting up every single morning. The people they work with aggravate them. Their boss aggravates them. The company doesn't use them to their fullest potential, so they feel like they're just rotting away on the vine. Can anybody resonate with that or have resonated with that in life? And see, when you, when you come to it to, to, with that posture in your hearts, you're in danger of compromising the good work that God would have for you to do. When you come from it with that, with that darkness in your heart, you are in danger of doing good work poorly. David's first job, David's first job was to play music for the king. He was just anointed the king. But his first job, he would play music for the king. Not very kingly work. But you see, God is always working. And God was going to be working in David and on David. And God allowed himself to enter into God's story and not try to write the story himself. Music to the king when the evil spirit came upon him was David's first job. You see, how you look at your job, how you look at your work, tells a lot about how you're responding to what the Lord is doing in your own life. I want to say that again. That's really important. How you look at your work and how you look at your job is, is um, it tells a lot about how you are responding to what God is doing in your life. If you have been anointed by the Holy Spirit because of Jesus Christ, if you have been anointed by the Holy Spirit because of Christ, you have been called to live as a priest. You have been called to live as a priest because Christ is in you. And that that priesthood doesn't go away when you punch that time clock. And then you go in and you come out and then you, you put on your priest clothes again when you punch out. A priest is a priest all of the time. 24-7, you have been anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit because Christ is alive and well in you. You've been called to the priesthood, and so you are always a priest. You are a priest whether you're in the sacredness of this sanctuary or if you're doing data entry in a cubicle. You are still a priest. Your work is anointed because you are anointed. How, how are people, th those people out there, how are those people ever going to hear the gospel? How are those people out there ever going to meet Jesus if Jesus only shows up here in church? How will they ever know 
the good news? How will they ever know about freedom? If only place that we, that we use gospel language is in this building. With all of our trimmings and our traditions and, and the music and, and all our God songs, if it just stays here, how will those people ever know? If you hang up your priest's identity at the time clock. How will people ever understand that God is always at work in the everyday stuff that we do? How will they know if you don't live your calling and your anointing in the place you've been given to work? How will they ever see him in the impossible quotas that have to be met? How will they ever experience him in the, the, the way too many hours that have to be worked? How will they ever experience Jesus in the board meeting or in the staff meeting unless you live your anointed priesthood in those places? How will they ever see? Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about you being stupid and all preachy and getting all up in people's faces and being the morality police. I'm not talking about that at all. What I'm talking about is that you would live in the posture that you are an anointed part of the priesthood and that the work that you're doing represents what God is doing in you and what God is doing in the people that are around you. That you have been given work, the blessing of work, no matter how crappy it might seem. How hard and difficult it is. You've been given that work to do. And you have an opportunity to serve. And if you have an opportunity to serve in that work, that means that it's sacred and it's holy. And you have ways to serve that go way beyond what you get your paycheck for. Because you can serve people. You know, the sanctuary, uh, church... Church is a very important part of our lives. Uh, dare I say, I believe church is an essential part of our lives because it's the community of the saints. But you know, you only spend two or three hours here a week. And some of you spend 40, 50, 60 hours at that other place with those same people doing that same thing, that same job. Like it or not, your place of work is a community. And a community is transformed when an anointed priest of Jesus Christ enters in and begins to point people to the sacredness of God, to the sacredness of every day. When you clock in, you bring Christ in with you and you make that community just a little bit more sacred because Jesus is with you. And let me talk to some of the stay-at-home moms that we have. You create a sanctuary right in your home, a sacred place for your family to come. Which I would say is way more important than cubicle world. It's, It's in our working, and it's in our playing, and it's in our everyday conversations. Those are the places where deep cultivation of our spirituality takes place. It's very easy to be spiritual in church. It's very easy to be a priest in church. But we don't stay here. We're called to live out there. We're called to live out there and doing the things that we're called to do. Everybody, everybody has work 
to do. We don't get to stay here, but we're called to live out our priesthood in the world and in the places that God has brought us to work. You know, many of you know David's story. Like his boss, Saul, is not going to end up being a very good boss. Okay, first they're gonna, he's going to cut his 401k, he's going to cut his salary, he's going to bring down his hours, he's going to give him more work, they're going to get rid of the water cooler because they're going to save 12 bucks in the palace a year on that one. And then, and then, do you think you have it bad? Then his boss tries to pin him to a wall with a spear a couple times. I think you have nothing really to complain about. But yet David maintained Maintain the humility before God. Maintain the idea that he was a priest. And the things that he was doing, he was the king to take over for this bad king. He was the king, and yet he remained humble and engaged the work that God gave him to do in that moment and in that time. David recognized that he wasn't, he wasn't working for God. David recognized that he was working because of God. Lord, I want to thank you for your word this morning. And I pray that we would take it with us as we head out into this world. May your grace follow us and may, be, may we be vessels of that grace. Amen. I love you guys more than you know. And I'll see you next week.